Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast, a podcast devoted to Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli supporter to enjoy it. We try to be as objective as possible, so if you're a cultural fan, if you're a football fan looking to get the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Right off the bat, I want to say a big thank you to all the medical professionals out there that are working tirelessly to keep the COVID-19 pandemic under control. I also want to say thank you to anyone who works in an essential service, whether it's grocery clerks or people working for delivery companies, garbage men and women, etc., that are enabling us to live our lives as comfortably as we can right now. And we owe it to them to do our part, so stay home if you can. I know that's not easy. We're probably all starting to get a little bit stir-crazy, so hopefully I can help you out with that just a little bit. On today's episode, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'll tell you a little bit about the podcast then we'll cover the latest headlines around Serie A and around Napoli, and we'll do a bit of transfer talk, and I specifically use the term transfer talk and not transfer rumors, which I'll explain in just a minute. So one thing I'm often asked when I join other podcasts, for example, is how did I become a Napoli fan? So the short answer is it's literally in my blood. My father is Italian. My mother is Guyanese, by the way. But my father is from a small town in Italy called Bisaccia, which has a population of about 4,000 people in the province of Avellino. Uh, Avellino, by the way, are toiling away in Serie C Group C. They're currently sitting in 10th place, which is the uh, the final place of the promotion playoff. So hopefully, if things get back uh, up and running, we can see Avellino back up in Serie B. Fingers crossed for that. But back to... Uh, Napoli and Bisaccia, the closest big club to Bisaccia is Napoli, so everyone I know from the town uh, supports Napoli. There are a few smaller clubs around, uh, Benevento most notably, uh, currently sitting in the top place in Serie B. Uh, hopefully we can see them in Serie A if we can find some way of resolving uh, promotion and relegation. There's also Salernitana, who are currently uh, in Serie B as well. They play in Salerno, of course, and Juve Stabia, who play in Castellamare di Stabia, which is very close to Napoli. But again, both smaller clubs, uh, certainly in the late 80s, uh, in the Maradona area, era, everyone in Bisaccia would have been cheering for Napoli, including my father and his family. Unfortunately, I was too young to appreciate the Maradona era and the Scudetti in the 80s. I would have been 
two for the first one and four for the second one. So I, I really didn't appreciate what was happening at the time. Frankly, I had no clue. Uh, and then Napoli went through a down period. They struggled in the 90s and then got relegated and ultimately went bankrupt before working their way back up to the top flight. So that's how I became passionate about uh, Napoli and about Calcio in general. But a few months ago, my passion became an obsession. So I'm good friends with a man named Jerry Mancini, who if you follow Calcio Twitter, I'm sure you're familiar with. And Jerry does a great job covering Serie A, writing for World Football Index and the Laziali, and now on the Calcio Connection podcast with Alex Donnell, which I've had the pleasure of being on a couple of times now. So Jerry and I have been talking Calcio for a while, and he suggested that I try writing. And at first I was a little bit apprehensive about it, and then one day I said, you know what, let me give this a shot. So at the time it was near the end of January, so I wrote a piece about Napoli's January transfer period, which as you know was quite active this year. And that was one of the best decisions I could have made. You know, at the time I was working crazy hours. I had two small kids at home, so my stress levels were through the roof. Uh, But when I wrote and when I did research, my mind was completely removed from the stresses of everyday life. And before you know it, I'm hosting my own Napoli podcast. The last thing I'll say about myself is I'm a football podcast junkie, and I'd be happy to make recommendations. Um, But I do want to thank also the other podcasters that are still out there producing content and keeping us uh, entertained while we self-quarantine. But enough about me. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about the podcast. You're probably wondering why in the world anyone would start a football podcast in the middle of a pandemic when there's no football being played. Uh, And the answer is threefold. First, like everyone, I'm looking for creative ways to keep my mind active uh, while I stay home and to keep myself engaged in Italian football. Second, I know I'm always on the hunt for quality content, so I assume others are as well, and hopefully we can deliver that for you. And third, I'm fairly new to podcasting. You know, I've been a guest on another podcast I mentioned, Cultural Connection with Jerry and Alex, but I certainly haven't hosted one, so for me this is a bit of a soft launch, if you will. Speaking of content, obviously this is a Napoli podcast, so we'll cover the latest news, we'll do some transfer talk, uh, and eventually when things return to normal, we'll cover the matches, of course. And to start, it'll be just myself, uh, but we do hope to have on some guests in the future. Certainly when we have game action, the plan is to bring on uh, guests who support Napoli's opponents so we can get the perspective of the other side. So that's it for part one. In part two, we'll cover the latest news and we'll do some transfer talk. Okay, so let's do a little bit of news. So, for those of you who don't know, the current situation in Italy is that play is suspended until May 3rd, and training is expected to resume on May 4th. UEFA and the European Club Association are hoping to finish the domestic seasons in July, and then that would be followed by the European Cups in August. Now, the logic there is that the different countries in Europe are at different stages in the COVID-19 cycle, so you need to wait for the end of this period for all these countries to be out of it before they can play against each other. 
just to give you an idea of the clubs involved in Champions League, we have England, France, Germany, Italy, and Spain, all of whom have been hit pretty hard by COVID-19. And then in Europa League, you can add to that list Austria, Denmark, Greece, Scotland, Switzerland, Turkey, and Ukraine. So one option that UEFA is exploring is compete, completing those tournaments over a two-week period in a neutral location. That's going to be discussed on a call on April 21st between UEFA and the 55 member associations. Now, today there was a meeting uh, in Italy between the medical and scientific committee of FIGC to talk about protocols that would be put in place when play and training resumes. So that includes things like testing all players and staff and anyone that could come into contact with them, uh, sanitizing the facilities, the order in which the seasons will resume. You know, Serie A would take priority, then Serie B, then Serie C. So the next step is for Gravina to send a summary of the plan to the government, which includes the Minister of Sport, Vincenzo Sparafore, and the Minister of Health, Roberto Speranza, and then we'll see how the government responds to that. If they do somehow manage to keep the domestic leagues, uh, get them done in July and the European Cups in August, then in theory that leaves enough time to have a short break before starting the next season in September. Now this has been... Uh, criticized by some you know these the players are expensive assets and if you play three matches a week and then take just a short break and then start another season with all the cup matches that have to be squeezed in there especially for the top clubs you're risking damaging those assets which means injuries to some pretty expensive players so there's a lot of uncertainty there's uh, much about these plans that can be criticized and debated one thing we can probably all agree on is that these plans will probably change. Now, I just want to say, I know a lot of people are thinking this is probably not something worth talking about when people are dying every day. And I get that. I do. And I think the clubs and the government bodies get that as well. I don't think anyone would argue that football is more important than human health. And I can see why people might be skeptical of FIGC, especially the way they handled the outbreak in the beginning. And, and probably the same can be said for UEFA. But... That being said, these clubs and these leagues and these governing bodies, they're businesses. And just like every other business, they need to make plans and adjust them as we go. And I know some of the dates you hear might sound overly optimistic or possibly even irresponsible. But I haven't seen a single statement that says we'll play at the risk of our players' health. Quite the contrary. They're saying we'll only return to training and potentially playing when it's safe to do so and in accordance with government mandates. They're also in line with what we're seeing some of these governments do, at least in Spain and Italy. This week in Spain, we saw construction and factory workers return to work. And in Italy, some small shops have been permitted to open and possibly factories next week. So, you know, that's itself is debatable whether that's a smart move or if that's going to then cause a second wave of the pandemic. Uh, there's, so there's no shortage of criticism there. But, it, you know, it seems the leaders of these countries are gambling a bit because they're desperate uh, to save these economies. So there there definitely won't be any fans in attendance when these uh, games are played. The Italian Undersecretary of Health, Sandra Zampa, told Ryan News that football is not a priority and that stadiums will remain empty until there's a vaccine. But they're doing exactly what every other industry is doing. 
I happen to work at an airport, which is, you know, aviation is one of the hardest hit industries by this pandemic. And right now, our approach is essentially to reforecast on a monthly basis and you reforecast for multiple different types of scenarios uh, because it makes more sense to be planned uh, and prepared in the short term uh, than to not be prepared because eventually there will be a point in time where we do go back to work. So if May comes around and it's still not safe to train, then you'll likely see FIGC update its forecast based on the then current conditions. And they'll probably say something like training is now expected to resume in June. And will that happen? Probably not. But again, you have to be prepared because eventually we will go back to work. So enough about COVID-19. Let's get into a little bit of Napoli news. Uh, once again, De Laurentiis is making headlines. Last week, Napoli was the first team to announce layoffs to 30 members of its staff. And, you know, while this has been fairly common practice for North American sports teams, uh, the decision hasn't been well received in Europe, particularly in England. Uh, a handful of clubs in England have taken advantage of the government's furlough program and, and come under uh, a lot of pressure and a lot of public uh, criticism for doing that uh, just because you know these programs are designed to help businesses that are at risk of you know going bankrupt and that certainly doesn't include clubs like Tottenham whose owners uh, Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy are worth 6.2 billion uh, or Liverpool who are owned by Fenway Sports Group they've got tons of money so it's it's not looking good for some of these clubs um, for Tottenham they actually ended up reversing their decision so the the public's uh, scrutiny seem to have worked. I think the damage to that club's reputation has probably been done. Uh, big credit to Manchester United, who committed from day one uh, to retain all 900 of their staff at full pay. But back to Napoli, you know, the De Laurentiis family and his film company are, they may not be worth as much as, say, Tottenham and Liverpool, but they're worth enough to be able to employ these employees. So if you were to assume that you know, we'll do some basic math. If you assume each employee makes 2,500 euros a month, which is maybe even on the high end, that headcount represents 75,000 euros a month. It would take you over a year to get to a million euros. So we know that ownership can afford this. Napoli, the club itself, has about 100 million euros in reserves, so that would be 1% of the reserves. So, you know, De Laurentiis wouldn't even need to take any money out of his own pocket though he probably should uh, it also doesn't help that no decision has been made with respect to the players salaries now that situation is uh you know and, and i'm talking about salary cuts uh to help support the clubs now that situation is a little more complicated for napoli because of the outstanding fines for the mutiny and uh you know i i read that one of the options, the at least the players were proposing, were to use some of those fines, which totaled about 2 million euros, uh, to cover the, the salary of the staff that they were laying off. And, and De Laurentiis wants to deal with each of those cases on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's, it's really not a good look for De Laurentiis. Now, we've also heard that Gattuso and Juntuli have agreed to give up about a month's salary to help pay for some of those staff. And it, it looks like some of the players will follow suit. In other news, we learned this week that uh, Lorenzo Insigne and his agent Mino Raiola are going to go their separate ways. I think it was Carlo Alvino that first broke this story. 
there's been speculation about why they decided to part ways and, and who might replace Raiola as Insigne's agent. The story I've heard is that Insigne uh, asked Raiola to help resolve a dispute, a legal dispute with his previous agents, and he wasn't able to get that done. And, you know, in the past, he wanted, Insigne wanted to move to another club, and Raiola wasn't able to find them a suitable club either. So they're going to go their separate ways. The name that I've heard as a potential replacement, but I don't think it will actually happen, is uh, Vincenzo Pizzacane, who's supposedly a family friend, which I think is the only reason why that's being speculated. It sounds actually like Insignia doesn't really need a new agent right now. Uh, it seems like he's been in contact directly with De Laurentiis. He hasn't met with him, obviously, because of COVID-19, like uh, Mertens did in March. But it, the, it sounds like there's a deal already done where Insignia would be extended I believe until 2024 uh, he would retain the same salary that he has today which is probably something to be happy about you know a lot of players are expecting to to see their wages go down because of COVID-19 and apparently De Laurentiis also offered to cover the commissions uh, involved with settling the legal dispute with the previous agent so if that's the case then you don't really need an agent anymore all you need is a lawyer to uh, take care of the paperwork at least for now so that's it for the news next i'll do a little bit of uh, transfer talk so i mentioned earlier that uh, we'll do some transfer talk and not transfer rumors so let me explain to you a little bit by what i mean by that so right now you're seeing all kinds of crazy rumors uh, you know messy to inter for example and a lot of this is the Italian papers are just kind of running rapid trying to create content. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people can't stand all the speculation that you see in, in the Italian papers. But I think if you don't take these reports too seriously, then it actually makes for some fun banter. Um, and I do see some of that on social media as well. So the fact is, the reason there are so many rumors about Napoli in particular is because there's uncertainty around the number of players, and many of those players are usually in Gattuso's starting 11. So let me quickly run through that list. So in goal, we have the whole Alex Meret and David Ospina debate, you know, on whether Meret will be sold as a result of Gattuso's apparent preference for Ospina. On the back line, we're all expecting Koulibaly to leave, and there's plenty of interest in him and, and a lot of money to be made there still, even after a, a difficult season. Uh, Maximovic's contract is uh, set to expire in 2021, though surprisingly I haven't seen a ton of rumors around him. Now, maybe that means he'll be renewed. Uh, Kuzai also up in 2021, and Gulam looks like he's also on his way out. In the midfield, there's uh, a lot of talk about Fabian Ruiz and a, a possible return to his home country of Spain. Then there's Alan, who, if you recall, last year was furious about not being sold to PSG. And then he was a big part of the mutiny, including an altercation with De Laurentiis' son, who's also the vice president of the club, uh, Eduardo. And then you have uh, Piotr Zelinski, whose contract is also up in 2021, though all indications are that he will be renewed. Up front, the big names that are uh, really dominating the headlines are Arkadush Milik and Dries Mertens. You also have Jose Caleon, whose contract is up this year and is not expected to renew. And you have Irving Lozano, 
uh, who's coming off a difficult year, which included some injuries. So since there's no football, what I'm going to do is each episode I'll pick one player and I'll, I'll walk you through my thoughts on that player's future and we'll take a bit of a deep dive and, and see what we come out with. And then every two weeks or so, or if there's a major development, then I'll provide an update on that player's situation as part of the news segment. So today we're going to talk about Arkadush Milik. So let's start with the facts. So Napoli bought Milik from Ajax in 2016 for 35 million euros. And they signed him for five years, which ends in 2021. And his salary is about four and a half million euros a year. Now, we know that Napoli front loads their amortization at about 70 to 75% for the first two years. So if we were to assume a 70% amortization in the first two years and then straight line the remaining amount over the following three years, then that would make the unamortized value of his transfer fee at about three and a half million euros. So that means if Napoli were to sell Malik now, they'd make a big gain on him. Uh, the papers are reporting the price tag uh, that De Laurentiis has said is somewhere in the 35 to 40 million euro range. Now we also know that Malik has been somewhat injury prone. He's missed 23 games in the 2016-17 campaign with a cruciate ligament injury. The following season, he missed 29 games with a knee injury, but last season he stayed healthy, and this year he's missed nine games for various different reasons. So, as you know, in January, Napoli acquired Andrea Patania from Spal. They're both big guys. They can't really play in the, at the same time, at least not in a, in a 4-3-3 system. So, when you put all of that together, it's not a shock that there are rumors about Milik being sold. You know, the last thing you want to do is let his contract run its course and then he walks away for free. Um, but at the same time, we know that De Laurentiis will not take a haircut. We saw that last year with Koulibaly and Alan. And the expectation is that the markets are going to take a hit because of COVID-19. So clubs that perhaps were previously willing to spend the 40 million euros for Milik may not be willing to do so anymore or at the very least, there's probably going to be fewer options. So here's what I expect. If Napoli get the right offer, then I think they'll pull the trigger and they'll cash out. If they don't get the right offer, then what I would expect is for Napoli to look to extend Milik's contract for an additional year or two, which isn't the end of the world. In fact, it makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. First, you give the market time to recover from the damage caused by COVID-19. Second, if Malik stays healthy, then his value might even increase, so your profit increases. And health-wise, at least he seems to be trending in the right direction. Meanwhile, it gives you time to integrate Patania into the squad. So you start him on the bench, you let him learn the system and improve his fitness. And you know if he plays his way onto the squad, then that's a good problem to have. Now, there is one other scenario that is possible, and, and some would say likely, and that's a player swap. So, I read an interesting article on Calcio Mercato by Emanuele Tramacere, um, arguing why a swap for Frank Kessie at Milan makes sense. Now, I don't think that's actually going to happen, but I was more interested in the concept, and I think the concept makes a lot of sense, uh, and you can apply that concept to any number of clubs. So here's Tramacera's case for Frank Kessie. Milan paid 32 million euros all in for Kessie. 
on June 30th with two years remaining on his contract. The unamortized value will be about 12.8 million euros. Milan estimate that Kessie is worth 25 million euros. So on a swap, Milan would record a gain of 12.2 million euros. For Malik, we mentioned earlier, his unamortized value is about 3.5 million euros. De Laurentiis wants 40 million for him, so on the swap, Napoli would record a gain of 36.5 million euros, so both sides would win. Again, I don't think this specific swap will happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see more swaps happening around Europe this transfer window than we normally do, again, because of the financial duress caused by COVID-19. The last thing I want to talk about uh, is some of the players that have been rumored to replace Malik if he were to be sold. So the first one that we've uh, been hearing quite a bit about is Chiro Immobile. I won't spend too much time on Immobile because I, I don't think this is going to happen. You know, it's it's nice for sentimental reasons, uh, given that he's from Napoli. His name is Chiro. The last Chiro I remember was Chiro Ferrara, who's uh, a club legend. But 90 million euros, which is reportedly what Lotito wants for him, 80 to 90 million euros for a 30-year-old to me just does not make sense, especially when you factor in that Immobile's success is really linked to the success of Luis Alberto and to Sergei Milinkovic-Savic. We've also heard of Cavani possibly returning. And again, that too would be nice for sentimental reasons. You know, a big fan favorite before we sold him. Uh, to PSG, but when we did sell him to PSG, he was 26 years old. Now he's 33 and his body is pretty beat up. This year alone, this year, Cavani has missed eight games with a hip injury, five due to fitness, one for a knock on his calf, one for sickness, two for a muscle injury, and five for a groin strain. I love Cavani, but he is beat up. I don't want him to come back. Another one that seems unlikely at this point is Andrea Bellotti, which is unfortunate because that's a player that I actually really do like. Now, I know there are some people out there that think he peaked in 2016, which is when he scored 26 goals. I think he still has plenty to offer. He's still only 26, and the decline in his numbers are correlated with the decline in Torino's performance over the last few years. However, it doesn't seem like he's going to be going anywhere you know, uh, it sounds like Torino um, are going to look to make him the center point or the centerpiece of a rebuild. We know in January they reportedly rejected an offer of 40 million euros from Fiorentina. So I can't see that happening. The other story that we heard was uh, that Napoli were going to look to swap Petania for Belotti. But again, if he's going to be the centerpiece of a rebuild, I, I can't see that happening either. Another name that we heard was Luka Jovic at Real Madrid. I'm not going to spend too much time on him. Initially, I wasn't going to talk about him anyways because I've heard his name tied more to a possible swap for Fabian Ruiz, so I was going to address that in a subsequent episode. But a couple days ago, Real Madrid uh, sounds like they want to give Luka Jovic another year to see what he's capable of. So from my perspective, he's now off the market. There are a few other names um, that I do find very intriguing, though, and, and I think they all sort of fit the profile of what Napoli need to bring in in terms of age, uh, skill set, and cost. So the first one is Andrea Pinamonti, who's a 20-year-old at Genoa. He's currently valued at around 15 million euros. 
probably going to be a tough uh, purchase just because there are so many interested parties. Another one is Loren Moron, who's a 26-year-old at Real Betis in La Liga. He's valued at 17 million euros. You have uh, Jean-Philippe Mateta, who's a uh, 22-year-old currently playing at Mainz in the Bundesliga. He's valued at 19 million euros. And Vedat Muriki, who's a 25-year-old from Fen- uh, Fenerbahce uh, in the Turkish Super League, valued at about 10.5 million euros. Today, a few more names were added to the list. I'll just run through them quickly because uh, it's still a little bit too early. I don't know whether there's any legitimacy to any of these names, to be honest. Um, But we had Gazzetta dello Sport reporting that uh, uh, Sardar Azmoun from Zenit and Alexander Sorlots from Crystal Palace are are possibly linked to Napoli, or at least in uh, Juntoli's radar. And then uh, Corriere dello Sport added uh, Milo Rashica from Werder Bremen and Usama Idrisi from AZ Alkmaar. So that's the latest on Arkadouche Milik. Like I said earlier, I'll continue to monitor the situation, and every couple of weeks or so, I'll give you an update or if there's a major development. And that's also going to do it for episode one. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I certainly did. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to get in touch, if you have any questions, or if there's a specific topic you want me to cover on the podcast, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. Fischetti is spelled F-I-S-C-H-E-T-T-I or you can find the podcast at Forza Napoli Pod. Also, if you're looking for some reading material, you can find my work on World Football Index. I just posted an article today, actually, on uh, today's Wednesday. That was a ton of fun to write. It's about the uh, 1944 Campionato Alto, Alta Italia, which was uh, a tournament played in northern Italy uh, during World War II, and the country was divided in two as the Allied forces were starting to take over the country. Really interesting read. Uh, Check that one out. But again, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti and Forza Napoli Sempre. Network.